0: Hey guys, Eric Lindeen here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. well again happy sunday today we wrap up our about year-long journey through the book of genesis it's been a fun journey going through and and talking about abraham and isaac and jacob and the life of joseph and this series has been called living the dream and really we do want to help you kind of live the dream live the life that god has for you and to step into what he has for you honestly i want to help you thrive And especially uh, emotionally and spiritually. Uh, Think of me, again, as your pastor, as your emotional, your spiritual coach, right? You might have people in your life who is your business coach, uh, your physical coach. But really, we're here as a church to help you thrive uh, spiritually, uh, emotionally. And what's true, though, is actually all those things kind of interplay. Your body, your mind, your spirit, your emotions— And um, my one tip for you is that if you do want to thrive, if you want to flourish physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally in all these areas, the tip for you is to repair or end toxic relationships. So we're going to be talking about how do we reconcile relationships? How do we thrive in this way? My social media of choice is, is Twitter or what's now called X. I still can't quite call it that. But I like to follow a lot of kind of life coaches, business people, entrepreneurs who have actually done stuff. And so I follow some great pastors on there who gives great advice, uh, different athletes, and then just some entrepreneurs, some business life coaches, uh, because they just they have some good wisdom as well. And even just this week, uh, there was a guy on there. His name is Kevin Dahlstrom, and he's an entrepreneur out in Denver. He's, he's a life coach. As far as I know, he's not a believer. But he was saying, you know, again, how do we thrive in life and how there's an interplay of these different areas of our life. And sometimes we think of them as separate categories, but they aren't. And and I love this. This is the quote he said. He said, We tend to think of physical and emotional health as separate things, but they're one and the same. Emotional stress takes a huge physical toll, And most of it comes from toxic relationships. Fix them, end them, or at least set boundaries. The number one key to repairing relationships is forgiveness. And this is a guy who I don't don't think is a believer looking at kind of his profile and stuff. Remember, when you forgive someone, you release the prisoner. And the prisoner isn't them, it's you. So even in, in the wisdom of the world, if you even just go down that pathway of life coaches and things like this, they will agree with what the Bible says, that we are a whole person, mentally, physically, spiritually, social. Um, we You aren't just a soul. Uh, that That's a Gnostic idea that sometimes creeps into the church. No, no, no. Your spiritual, your emotional life actually will affect you physically, as well as your physical body and what you do, how you act, can and influence your mind, your heart, your connection with God, it's all together. And so part of my job as your pastor, help you to live a fully integrated life. What does that mean, fully integrated physically, mentally, spiritually, socially, all these things working together, allowing the Holy Spirit to be the dominant influence in our lives. That's what we want. We want to be saturated in God's word, peoples of prayer, in healthy communities, so that the Holy Spirit becomes the dominant influence in our lives. But the truth is, people are not perfect, right? And so we all have conflict. Um, We we went through a little church conflict here recently, and, and, and just through that, there's been some good things that have come up about that. And one of them was a comment made that, Eric, it feels like just like you and Ryan and Matt and Josh, like it's just, you're all just kind of hunky-dory. It's perfect. There's never any conflict between you. And part of that is as a church board, we shouldn't hopefully like flaunt any disagreements we have in front of the church. We should handle our stuff, you know, behind closed doors and talk about it. But here's the truth, is that in any relationships, there's going to be conflict. There's disagreements. This summer, our board, as we set our budget, and we debated it and we talked about it. We had different ideas on how should we set the budget, the money, things like that. But healthy conflict is good. In any good uh, team that you're on, whether it's a sports team or a business team, there should be healthy conflict. In relationships, there should be healthy conflict. That's good. And we have to learn the difference between good, healthy conflict and toxic conflict. Um, just the truth is, Ryan Holland and I, our chairman, a number of years ago, uh, we've been open about this. We, we had some conflict and we had to come to each other and 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 have good communication and talk through this stuff. Thank you, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little dry mouth here. And, and, and talk through that. As Josh Olson transitioned from church planter to gone for a year to youth pastor to not on staff, him and I, we had to talk through not quite conflict, but just differences of things and figuring it out in our relationship. Matt and I, Matt was on staff and then stepped off staff and then came back on staff. And through that, we've had to navigate conflict and differences of opinions. But here's the beautiful thing is that when you go through conflict, in marriages, relationships, friendships, and you come out, it's so beautiful on the other side. Because you you learn more about each other. You learn there's trust, and and there's forgiveness, and and you learn this is what real life is. It's not just kind of fake, everything's hunky-dory. It's like, no, 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 we've had some real conversations. So that's what I want to dive into tonight. But interpersonal relationships, they are hard. They are tough. And especially, I think, in the family and especially in the church. You know, maybe you're trying to raise kids and your mom or your mother in law keeps looking over your shoulder and giving you advice. And you're like, Mom, just stay out of this. And there's tension between you and your mom. Or maybe it's your own kids, and they're fighting all the time, and you try to count to three, and nothing happens, and you count to ten, nothing happens, so you just go and take a bubble bath, right? Because you don't know what to do, your kids are out of control, and you're just struggling. Maybe today you're a middle schooler back there running tech, and you're like, my parents don't trust me enough. They're so controlling, and they're always breathing down my neck. Do I have any amens back there? Amen. (laughs) Some of you might be at a place where today, to this day, you still haven't forgiven maybe your parents for some way they've wounded you. Or maybe you grew up in a church environment and there are people that hurt you and you haven't forgiven them yet for something that happened years and years ago. And you're holding on to this hurt, you're holding on to some pain, but what I believe, that is not what God wants for you. God wants to release you from that pain, from that hurt, from any bitterness that's lingering, because that's the pathway forward to health and and wholeness and healing. Well, to do this, we're gonna, again, we're gonna end our story looking at this very dysfunctional family that we've been talking about for a number of weeks. And uh, in the spring, we met Jacob. He's this trickster. Uh, my, my son and I and my wife, we watched the TV show Loki. Uh, I always think Jacob is Loki, right? Esau's Thor, Jacob's Loki. He's this trickster. He stole his brother's birthright. His father's blessing pretended to be his big brother. Then he ran away from home. He was married to four different women at the same time and had 13 kids with these four women. This is Jacob. His name has changed to Israel, and this is now the God's family is going to come through here. Well, Jacob had a favorite wife, and uh, Joseph was the older son from his favorite wife, and Jacob loved him more than his other kids. And because of this, Joseph's other brothers hated him because of this favoritism. So one day, they beat him up, they throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery, and Joseph ends up as a slave in Egypt. But we've seen the last couple weeks in the life of Joseph that although uh, our that, that God is still with Joseph, that our uncertainty is not evidence of God's inactivity, that even though it seems like God isn't up to something and we're not certain what's going to happen, it's not evidence of God's inactivity. He's still working behind the scenes And after 13 years in prison, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, God raises Joseph up like a good hip-hop story. He goes from prison to bling, and he's got a posse, and he's got this ring on his finger and a chariot and all this stuff. Well, now Joseph, in this story, he's going to finally meet back up with his family. But looking at the timetable, it's been about 20 years now since he's seen his brothers. And there's this famine all across the lands. And because of this, Joseph's family of origin, which is back in Israel-Palestine area, and Joseph is down in Egypt, they're starving to death, but they they hear there's food in Egypt because Joseph has been raised up to prime minister, and so he's done a good job stewarding their extra food. And so this is where we pick up our story in Genesis 42. Genesis 42, verse 1. When Jacob, again, he's the patriarch, the Loki with the 13 kids, four women. When Jacob learned there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just look at each other? Why are you just sitting around doing nothing? He said, Behold, I have heard there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's 100% blood brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel or Jacob came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Again, Jacob had one wife he liked more than the others, and she had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. So they're the sons of his favorite wife. He's lost Joseph, so now he's not going to want to lose Benjamin. So the other brothers apparently are a little disposable, so he sends the ten brothers down, but he won't send Benjamin. So kind of bummer for them, right? All right, verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground Joseph saw his brothers and recognized him, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said, they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. So the older brothers don't recognize their little brother who they think is probably dead by now, but he recognized him. Part of this is you change a lot from the age of 17 to 37, right? Like you change a whole ton. I mean, have you ever looked at someone's like high school pictures and how they look differently now? (laughs) Or you look at guys' wedding photos, and it's like 20 years later, it's like, dude, this doesn't even look like you whatsoever. What happened? It's like, she's a really good cook. Yeah, yeah, you don't look like yourself. But over 20 years, you change. But Joseph also, he's an Egyptian. So he's got the Egyptian haircut, probably the eyeliner, right? He, he looks like one of the Egyptian's guys wearing the clothes. He's got the jewelry on. They don't recognize their brother. So what, what is he going to do? He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. So he's going to test them a little bit. And here's the truth. If there is someone who is dangerous, who has done evil to you, if there's someone who has hurt you, you better make sure they've actually changed before you can trust them again. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Oh, on one quick note on your note sheets. We printed those off earlier in the week. Uh, Amber did for me, and then I made some last minute tweaks. So, uh, you might need to just cross some things out right on the margins, whatever you want to do for taking notes today. But there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. See, forgiveness is letting that prisoner go. That's you. But forgiveness is letting go of the offense and the hurt. Forgiveness is what God asks us to do as followers of Christ. Because God has forgiven us so much, we also should forgive those who have wronged us. It, it, it's painful. It's hard, but it's letting go of that offense, but reconciliation, that's renewing the relationship. I think sometimes we equate those two things, and that's dangerous. If, if you have an abusive spouse, by God's grace, you can leave that situation. You can even find the grace to forgive your spouse. but That does not mean you need to enter back into a relationship with that abusive spouse. There's a big difference between resuming that relationship, uh, that friendship, whatever, in whatever way, and trusting someone, and just letting go and, 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 and forgiving that person. So again, that's an important distinction, that you can forgive someone and still have high boundaries for someone who is a toxic influence, uh, someone who has hurt you. So the difference between renewing the relationship to restoring the friendship— or harmony. See, we can forgive people, but trusting them, they gotta earn that back. And so Joseph, I believe, has forgiven his brothers. He's moved forward this, but he's gonna test his brothers. He's gonna mess with them a little bit. He's gonna set up some scenarios where he can test them. So what does he do? He throws his brothers in prison, same prison he spent 13 years in, but he's gonna put them there for a few days just to test them a little bit. Uh, and, and I've thought, like, man, how amazing to be Joseph and have your own personal prison, like, Right? Someone upsets you, they're driving too slow in the left-hand lane, throw them in prison, right? They blast country music, throw them in prison. Like, whatever it is, right? Your thing, right? You put them in jail. So Joseph's got his own jail, and he's going to put his brothers in there, just kind of let them sit. On the third day, uh, right pointing to Jesus, but on the (laughs) third day, Joseph said to them, "'Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain behind, confined where you are in custody,' Let one of the 10 stay back in prison and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me. Because he quizzed them, he talked to them. They're like, yeah, we have one more baby brother back at home, Benjamin. So he's saying, hey, bring that youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. They said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother Joseph and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why distress has come upon us. What are they doing here? They're confessing their sin. They said, you know what? This is happening to us. We're being thrown in prison because we sinned against our baby brother Joseph 20 years ago. You know, we thought we got off scot-free, but now we're reaping what we've sown. They're beginning to acknowledge their sin. James 5.16 says it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. One of the things I think in our Protestant tradition that we've gone away from is you know maybe we, we some people we've left the Catholic tradition where there's this you know tradition again of confessing your sins to a priest and receiving forgiveness from that priest. And now we say, okay, it's between me and Jesus, so all I need to do is confess my sins to Jesus and I'm good. Well, James tells us to confess our sins to one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I think there are people in our churches that have physical issues in their body because they have unconfessed sins. Perhaps they've confessed it to God, but not to someone else. And because of that, it's sitting inside of them, causing, like a cancer, physical manifestations in their bodies. But James says, if you want to be healed, you need to confess that you need to share those words with someone else that they can pray for you. Secret sins, things like this, you hold on to that and it begins to poison you and your body takes a toll. If you're taking notes, write this down, that confession is the first step towards reconciliation. If you want to renew a relationship with someone, you first have to confess, here's how I wronged you. Confession is repenting of the things we intentionally did to hurt someone else. Now, in the church body, this is often looks like gossip, slander, division. We like to use the word venting. We like to say, I'm gonna take a walk with someone and just vent about this. When it's gossip, when it's slander, when there's malice, which means you wish harm upon someone. And what happens sometimes, we are wrong, but then we intentionally wrong others. Maybe you've lied about someone, stolen, but that first step towards reconciliation is confession, and it's of things we intentionally did. But confession can also mean apologizing and acknowledging the hurt that you caused someone unintentionally. Here's the truth. We are all imperfect, broken people. We all unintentionally cause harm, Often, in our marriages, as a parent, there can be things I say to my kids, I don't mean to harm them, but the harshness of my tone, it comes out in a certain way. I need to confess and say, hey, I'm sorry for the way I said that. Or, hey, if someone comes to you and said, you know, man, I've been feeling really left out or like that there's something between us that you don't care about me. Part of confession is saying, wow, I am so sorry, I did not intentionally mean to exclude you, I I am very sorry, and so confession is saying, repenting those things that we both did intentionally, and also unintentionally, and you know what this takes? A whole lot of humility, because pride, which is really the root of pretty much all all sin, rises up at the thought of repenting for anything that we didn't do intentionally. Well, that's just on them. Well, I'm sorry they're so soft and they're a snowflake and they took it that way. But the way of Jesus is repenting even of those ways. Hey, I did not mean to hurt you. Here's also some good advice. There is an appropriate way to repent and ask for forgiveness and and apologize. And there are inappropriate ways to do that. Uh, one one way not to apologize, right? Hey, I'm sorry that you were hurt. I'm sorry you took it that way. That's a very immature apology. Don't apologize that way to your spouse, to anyone else. Hey, I'm sorry I unintentionally hurt you. I didn't mean to, but I am sorry. It's a non-apology if you say, I'm sorry you were hurt by this. So again, this is something that... A lot of people do apologies this way. It's not a true apology. So this goes, again, for work relationships, in your spouse, anything like that. Confession is the first step towards reconciliation. So Joseph is testing his brothers before he can trust them again. He needs to make sure they've changed. They've confessed their sins, but have they turned and changed? So they leave Simeon behind, one of their brothers. They go back to Canaan to feed their families. But Jacob, he doesn't want a son as his other favorite son, Benjamin. So Simeon's just left their kind of rotting in prison for about a year. Jump to 43, verse one. Now the famine was severe in the land. It's gotten worse in like two years now. And when they had eaten the grain they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah, he's one of the older brothers, not the oldest, but one of the oldest, said to him, the man, Joseph, solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your little brother Benjamin is with you. If you will send our brother Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy you food. All right, if you've been reading it all Genesis with us or talking about this, uh, Judah up until this point, is he good guy or bad guy? Just what, How many of you guys think good guy? I think bad guy? Yeah, bad guy, total bad guy, all right? He's the one who lied to their father and led the brothers to deceive their father or what they did to their little brother for more than 20 years. Uh, we skipped this part of the story, but uh, if you've read through the book of Genesis, he raised two godless, terrible boys, his sons were so bad that God struck them down dead. All right? Jake, Judah was a failure as a son. He was a failure as a brother. He was a failure as a husband. He was a failure as a father. In every way, Judah was a failure. It's a kind of a long, crazy story, but Judah's wife dies. Judah's like in his 40s now. He's feeling lonely. He goes to pick up a prostitute by the side of the road. But who is it actually? His daughter in law Tamar—that's a whole other story. She's not in the wrong. She did what was right. Uh, It's a whole long thing. So he sleeps with his daughter in law and gets her pregnant, and now he's raising a son with his dead wife's dead son's wife. All right, this is not a good guy. This is a messed up guy. He's messed up life. But now Judah steps up to speak. Verse ten. And Judah said to Israel his father, "Send the boy Benjamin with me." And we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also all our little ones, all the kids and the grandkids. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. This is a huge change in the life of Judah. He's not a young man. He's somewhere in his 40s or maybe even 50s, late 30s, somewhere around there. I want us to make a careful note of this change. So far, God has revealed himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, three generations. And we think the way the is going, it's gonna be the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, right? Joseph's the hero of this story. But what we're gonna find out is Jesus comes not through the line of Joseph, but through the line of Judah. this is a major plot twist right here. Judah now becomes the head. He's not the oldest brother. He's not the favorite one who goes down to to Egypt. He's the head of the family for the fourth generation. Up until this point, he's a failed, uh, he's a thug, a failed husband, a failed father, a failed brother. His sons are dead. He's been a failure, but he changes right here. He gets a clean slate. And this is the changed life of Judah. He takes responsibility. He takes on responsibility. See, a boy does not take responsibility. A man welcomes it gladly. A girl does not take responsibility. A woman welcomes it gladly. There's a difference between men and boys between girls and women. See, boys and girls say, I don't wanna get a job, that's a lot of responsibility. I don't wanna get married, that's a lot of responsibility. I don't wanna have kids, that's a lot of responsibility. I don't wanna lead a ministry, that's a lot of responsibility. The world needs more men and women who are ready to lead and take responsibility. Judah gets that. It dawns on him, and he begins to change. Judah says, you know what? I'm going to do what's best for the women, for the kids, for the grandkids. I'm going to do what's best for the family. I'm not going to do what's just best for me. I've already done what's best for me. I was out drinking instead of raising my kids. God struck them dead. I got my daughter-in-law pregnant because I thought she was a prostitute. I sold my brother into slavery. I need to make a change. I need to start living for God and other people. And this is the day of his transformation, his clean slate. Some of you have made this turn, some of you need to make that turn from boy to man, from girl to woman, to say, hey, this is my life, this is my body, this is my finances, this is my car, my house, my wife, my husband, my kids, my gospel, my church, my city. You can trust me to take some responsibility. Put it on my back. I can carry some weight. That's what Judah says. I believe that's what God says to each and every one of us. Take some responsibility for your church, for your city, for your neighbors. See, we think the story is about Joseph, but it's actually, it's actually a story about Judah. See Judah, he looks his dad in the eyes and says, dad, you can trust me. And if not, I'll take responsibility. Man, can you imagine? What a great day for Jacob. Maybe the first time in his life he's seen his son like this. He's been a 40-year-old underachiever. Just a screwball, just getting high, chasing girls, driving fast, being dumb. And all of a sudden he looks at his old dad and he says, things are changed today. You can trust me. I'm going to make you proud. And what a great day for his dad. And he's not just going to make some promises. He's actually going to deliver results. And now Judah becomes fit for the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. He becomes a man. He takes responsibility. He becomes a patriarch God's been working on him. And who ultimately again comes through Judah? Jesus. Jesus, the line of the tribe of Judah. Isn't that awesome what God does? He takes failed, screwed up people, gives them a fresh start and says, hey, I'm gonna use you. I think that's so, so beautiful. It's amazing how much changes in the world when men and women take responsibility. Okay, story's gonna pick up now. So first, the brothers, they're gonna go back down to Egypt. First time they're there, right? Where do they go? Jail right? The second trip to Egypt, they're going to go to Joseph's house. Like This is like you're in a city, a state trooper pulls you over, you spend the night in the county jail, you get released. The next time you're there, state trooper pulls you over. He's like, hey, I recognize you. You're coming to my house right now. It's like, oh, I've seen this in a movie, right? It's like, no one's ever going to find my body again. This is what they're thinking, right? So the, the Judah and his 10 brothers, including Benjamin, end up at Joseph's house. And Joseph's like, hey, how's, my, how's your dad doing? Ask him some questions. Because to this point, it's been about 21 years now, since Joseph has seen his dad. He doesn't know if his dad's alive or dead. Verse 28, verse chapter 43. They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son. He said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. You gotta remember, he hasn't seen this brother in 21 years. Same mom, same dad. All his other brothers, they're half-brothers. He loves them, but this is his blood brother. Same mom, same dad. He didn't get to grow up with this kid, right? Some of you can relate to this. Maybe your family's broken, fractured, it's a mess. You have half-siblings. You didn't grow up together. You didn't see each other. Maybe you have cousins you didn't see. This is his brother. He didn't get to to, to play with him growing up, right? He didn't get to wrestle with him or, or play Fortnite or baseball or go swimming or all those things. He missed 21 years with his little kid brother, and now... His brother's in his house. What? Verse 33. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, Reuben, and the youngest according to his youth, Benjamin. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's tables, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. So right, they're having this big dinner. It's like the Golden Corral, Sunday lunch. And it's like, this is way better than jail. And they're looking, But little brother Benjamin's getting five times more than everyone else. This is kind of weird. You could easily skip past this and be like, what is this all about? But it's like, you know, it's like steak, steak, steak for the brothers, five steaks for Benjamin, right? Piece of chocolate cake, piece of chocolate cake, piece of chocolate cake, whole cake for Benjamin. It's like, what is going on? (laughs) Why is the little brother getting so much more than everyone else? Why is Joseph doing this? And we could easily blow past this. But what is he doing? He's testing them. See, previously, Joseph was the kid brother who was favored by the dad. How did the brothers respond? With intense jealousy. And they sold Joseph, the favorite son, into slavery. Now Benjamin's that kid brother. Joseph's gonna show favor to Benjamin to see how the other brothers react. See, this is the final test. They don't know he can understand them speaking Hebrew. See, if they get jealous, if they start talking in Hebrew, oh man, we gotta whack Benjamin too, like he's the favorite son, then they haven't had a change of heart right? But if they're just like, hey, Benjamin, congratulations, five steaks, that's amazing, like praise the Lord, right? If they're just nice to their brothers, then Joseph knows they've changed in their hearts. See, here's the thing. They're all getting blessed. They're not in jail. They're all getting steak and chocolate cake. Benjamin's just getting really, really blessed. Sometimes God does this to us where he will bless all of us, but then pour his favor out upon someone else and wants to see how do we respond? Hey, are you happy for them or are you a little jealous? And so that's what Joseph's doing. He's listening to them. It's okay to test people before you trust them. It's okay to test them. The apostle Paul says this about leaders in the church. Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands and commissioning people for leadership. You want to test people? You want to say, hey, can you stack some chairs before you step into leadership? Get to know somebody before you trust them, especially anyone who has maybe hurt you in the past or sinned against you. Test them before you trust them. You can forgive them right away, but before you trust them and restore their relationship, give them a little time, see if they've actually changed. Or we're gonna jump ahead a little bit here now. We're gonna wrap up the story. Uh, chapter 45, verse one through 15. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood, behind them, stood by them. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph is my father still alive? So he kind of reveals himself, but his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. It's like, you know, it's like the mission apostle pulls off his mask, it's Joseph. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they probably came trembling and they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land these two years, and there are yet five more, which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I'll provide for you, and for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all of you that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. What a beautiful picture of reconciliation. So what can we learn about this story? Well, a couple of things. First, First John 5, 1. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he describes all this way. He says, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. What that means is this. When we become Christians, we become part of God's family with fellow believers as our brothers and sisters. See, God determines who those other family members are, not us. We're simply called to accept and love them. See, when you're saved, you're not just saved individually, you're saved and adopted into a family. And each individual local church is a different expression of that family. And so all the stuff we're talking about reconciliation in our family. How do you deal with someone who's hurt you? This applies to your brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't get to pick and choose our brothers and sisters. Same in the body of Christ. There are people that are gonna be different than you. There are people that are gonna hurt you, but how are you gonna respond? Are you gonna choose just to run and then try to find a different family? Or are you gonna do the hard work of reconciliation, of confession, of repentance, of working this out I think Apostle Paul says it well in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Just like Judah, we see him turn from the way he was living. He is a new man. Paul says, the old has passed away before behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven, we have been redeemed, we've been adopted into his family, and now we've been given the message and the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That's both a vertical aspect and a horizontal aspect. It's we invite people to be reconciled to God as well. Our role as Christians is to share the good news, talk about you can be reconciled to God. You have this debt, it has been forgiven. You can experience forgiveness and newness of life as well. You can be a new creation through Christ. There's also a horizontal component to the message and the ministry of reconciliation. It's doing the hard work as brothers and sisters in Christ to say, How do we repent? How do we reconcile? How do we come together? And here's the truth, you never look more like God than when you forgive. When you extend forgiveness to someone else. How do we handle our business? Here, the last scripture, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. This is Jesus talking to us. He says, if your brother or your sister sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. What does this mean? This is so important that those of us who are partners in Mosaic, you sign that you will do this. We put it in the contract. I will navigate conflict through Matthew 18. That if you have a problem with someone, you will go to that person. You won't vent. You won't share to the prayer request. You go to that person. If he listens to him, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Get some leaders in the church and say, hey, we need to talk about this, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, when accusations are brought up in the church or anywhere else, there needs to be two or three witnesses to this to confirm it, and then then you deal with it. If you refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And again, this is where, then it's brought before the whole church body. This is what Jesus tells us to do. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, to the leaders in the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. How did Jesus say to treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Love them, Love them, but they're not part of your community. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, this is all the same context. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on, on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. This is about reconciliation and relationship. This is what it's all about. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. How many of you guys have heard that last verse quoted at some point? Yeah. How many of you guys know that verse is about conflict resolution? Yeah, not very, right? We like to say, hey, where two or three are gathered, God's there. Where two or three are gathered to work out conflict in the church, there I am with them. Let's not quote this verse out of context. This is all about conflict resolution. This is real stuff. As we wrap up, here's the next steps. Number one, is there someone you need to forgive? Again, Difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. But is there some bitterness in your heart you've been holding on to? Maybe it's the way you a parent, a sibling, someone in a previous church, someone who hurt you deeply, and you've just been holding on to that anger. And God's saying, don't carry it anymore. Let it go. And sometimes we don't want to forgive someone because then we think like they win. But again, that's just like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Like it doesn't work that way. Like, don't hold on to that. It's causing probably physical pain in your body. Number two, is there something you, take, you need to take responsibility for? Judah, we see, failure. He steps up, he takes some responsibility. He says, hey, put it on my shoulders. I can step it up. Maybe God's impressing upon you. Hey, I need to be more like Brenda. Take some responsibility and, and meet a need I see in my community. Maybe there's something in my church I need to take some responsibility for. Maybe there's something in my household, in my neighborhood, I need to take some responsibility for. Maybe there's somebody you know you've hurt and you just haven't wanted to take responsibility for that hurt. Maybe it's a spouse or even your child or something. There's someone you need to forgive. There's someone you need to take responsibility for. Again, we don't like to do the hard work of resolution, conflict resolution and reconciliation in Minnesota. This is, we prefer being passive aggressive in Minnesota at night. Nice, amen? But that's not the way of Jesus, what God calls us to do. God calls us to get into this. If you can't think of a single thing you need to take responsibility for or ask for forgiveness, I want to encourage you to take a really hard look at yourself. Because what probably is is there's an, an immense amount of pride in you. Oh, this is just who I am. Probably all of us have something we need to take responsibility for and probably need to ask for forgiveness, for forgiveness for something we've done. Model taking responsibility for your kids. Model showing forgiveness to your kids. Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there something you take responsibility for? Let's pray. I want the band to come on up. God, I thank you for the story of this dysfunctional family and all their brokenness, but yet you still work and you show us that there's still possibility of hope. God, I thank you that through Jesus, we've been reconciled to you. And now you've given us the ministry and this message of reconciliation. God, I pray that we would be able to forgive those who have hurt us, and not continue holding on to that that hurt, that pain, that bitterness. God, that we would know how to appropriately test people before we trust them again, and when appropriate to, to reconcile and restore those friendships. And God, I pray that also that we just know what to take responsibility for, just in our actions, or just what you're calling us to do. God, we don't want to do this on our own strength, but through your strength and through your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing this last song. The, the challenge of, of, of a preacher every week is trying to teach God's word and saying God addresses these things on how we need to live, but I don't want you to walk away with it. The message of Jesus is just try harder, be better. Through Christ, you've received reconciliation and forgiveness and you are completely accepted and loved just as you are. God wants you to grow and to step into a beautiful, flourishing life. But to do that, you can't do it on your own strength. It's only by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So as we sing this song together, I wanna encourage you, make this your prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to do the deep work that only he can do. Not by your strength, but by his strength. Amen. Why don't you stand and we'll sing the song in closing together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.